then we can't decide what is true and what's not true. Um, but then I see young people sort of taking on this work and advocacy and really sort of stepping into different forms of identity and values than their parents did. And I find that very encouraging and comforting and it gives me a lot of hope for the future. You know? This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Bloom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Good day, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And I'm really excited today because I have two guests. Um, and, you know, later it will become obvious why I asked them to, to be here today. Um, but I, I will ask them to introduce themselves. Shoria, please uh, go ahead. Hey, everyone. I'm Shoria, one of the co-founders of uh, Fleet. And really excited to be here. Thanks, Maurice, for, for having us on as well. Um, just a little bit about my background and myself. Um, you know, I've been in this realm of, of sustainability, transportation, and, and tech for almost a decade now, um, dating back to my time in college and at Stanford. Um, really, you know, dug deep into this realm, both from a you know startup entrepreneurial perspective, and also got involved in a lot of research uh, at the School of, of Energy at Stanford, which is now part of the new kind of sustainability school. Uh, I've been pretty pretty aggressively in this. My my original background and foundation is originally from um, you know computer science. That's my core trait. Uh, but I've always been leveraging these tools and, and resources in our arsenal and technology to kind of attack problems in transportation, energy, sustainability, and access. Um, and prior to working on on fleet per se, I was working with another European operator, uh, sort of a train bus operator out of Europe. Uh, helping them kind of expand to the U.S. their operations there, um, and really kind of get a nice lay of the land of how you know mobility and transportation and, and urban uh, kind of concepts have evolved in Europe to see how we can really take some of those ideas and, and leapfrog a lot of the uh, progress that we're making in the U.S. as well. And I'm very excited to have uh, Sydney as well working with me on this, and uh, I'll let her sort of introduce a little bit about herself as well. Great. Thanks, Sharia. Hi, everybody. I'm Sydney. I'm the other co-founder of Fleet. Um, as you heard, Sharia is kind of the, the tech and computer science side of things. I am an urban planner, a transportation planner by training. I started out my life in urban planning at Harvard and also did a lot of work at MIT in the urban mobility lab there, focusing on issues at the intersection of urban design, human-centered design, and walkable, sustainable cities. Um, I came to urban planning in sort of a non-traditional route, come from the NGO world. Uh, I used to work in international development in the Middle East and North Africa region. 
I was working, uh, running a fund for a Ford Foundation funded grant in Cairo, Egypt, where we did research and projects on urban issues, um, mostly around critical pieces of infrastructure like energy, water supply, and roads and transportation in um, Cairo, Egypt. And so that's sort of how I got into urban planning and um, that is just sort of how how my story began and how I ended up at Fleet. So t- t- tell the listeners a bit, you know, how did you connect and, and you know, did you have that plan uh, about the present company from day one or, you know, how did that, t- tell us a bit about how that went. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, even at a high level, you could really quickly tell uh, Butz and me, myself, and actually most of the folks that we've you know, brought together to work on Flea come with very different sort of diverse, rich backgrounds. You know, we all got great sort of foundation and, and uh, education pieces covered from the U.S. and then built sort of our, our ground there. But we've all sort of gone out, worked in these, you know, kind of related, augmented the whole sphere of, of the space in general. Um, and that's been a big part of how we're pulling folks together to really build, you know, beyond just the product or technology that we kind of help people kind of with deploy and, and with customers. A bigger part of what we've also done is really gather this really interesting kind of set of people who are all sort of aligned and very passionate about, you know, mobility and transportation and creating an impact with sustainability while leveraging tech and coming from all parts of the world, right? the tech part versus urban mobility, uh, versus planners, designers, whatever it may be. And that's a big part of what we're also bringing together. Um, for us, it, it really did start off, you know, we've we've spent a lot of time in different parts of this realm around the table. Like I myself is, you know, running a lot of, we did a few kind of direct-to-consumer products. We ran sort of a, you know, a, an Uber pool, Lyft line-esque service, kind of carpooling on-demand transit in the Bay Area before, you know, Uber pool and Lyft line even launched and, and grew that out. Uh, we spent a lot of time doing sort of consumer products, ended up even kind of on the operator side of the table with this you know, European company that I previously mentioned. Uh, we grew operations, really understood how you know, trains, buses, what the business models behind this is, how to scale, um, and then even understanding that, the bottlenecks of that in the, the U.S. And that's really, you know, when we're working on that uh, project per se, uh, especially in the Bay Area, that's really what brought us to the table with the folks working on commuting. And that's really the big lens of what we're taking. You know, there's a huge conversation in, in mobility around um, the, the consumer side, the autonomous, connected, electric, shared, the aces of, of, of transportation, which we're all very excited about. Um, but there's very little of that conversation happening on the enterprise side of things, of, of mass people movement, mass transit, mass commuting. Um, and that's really what we're really focused on and then trying to you know, drive the needle towards and so that's how we started. We actually got, you know, when we were looking into big transit systems, especially in the Bay Area, big transportation systems, a lot of the regional employers pay a, re- play a really big role in that because they're essentially moving cities worth of people on a day-to-day basis, right? And they have a very interesting incentive to try to make that more seamless, you know, whether it's a mental well-being perspective, reduce congestion, or now so more from a you know, sustainability and ESG mandate as well. And that's really where we started talking to these folks, uh, more from a mass transit, even from the, some of the research I did at Stanford. Um, and we were connected to, to the big companies over at Google, Facebook, Apple, uh, that are moving tens and thousands of employees, not just in the Bay Area, really, you know, 20, 30 different locations globally. Um, and that's really how we started Fleet, where you know we came around uh, to understanding what are the 
key challenges that people are facing in the commuting world, whether it's you know larger enterprises that are already running very massive systems, but also you know the rest of the folks that you know aren't sitting in these shuttle buses provided by the employer that may or may not be electric, but even the rest of the folks you know that are 200 to 50,000 you know daily drivers just in the Bay Area on the freeways that are going to smaller companies. Um, working in, in other offices that aren't you know, tech and don't have the kind of benefits and resources uh, to be able to impact their employees' commutes to that level. Um, and it's kind of, you know, the way we we sort of got to where we're getting to, even from where sort of Sydney got in and how we sort of realized, I think it was a big part of the equation was the team and the folks that we're pulling together to solve this problem. Right. So I've, we, we know we have a very strong, the technology is a big driver, is a good, big enabler in this realm. And we you know, are very cognizant of leveraging tech and innovation that's happening in and around the world to bring mm-hmm. it into the space. But there's a lot of stuff that is very inherent to you know, urban planning, urban mobility, um, to this demand sort of choice modeling of how people are making decisions, especially in a place that's become relatively new, right? Mobility and transportation has rapidly changed in the last five, seven, 10 years. Like we saw, I remember when Uber first came out and it started making it, you know, interesting idea of, of going after taxi companies and making that whole experience interesting. And now, you know, we don't feel like it's strange to get into someone else's car prior to, you know, before they, they actually launch. So, you know, we're seeing transportation play a really big role and it's evolving super rapidly. And we actually think that it's, probably going to be sort of the internet of our generation, right? Where folks are like my kids that don't have any yet, but my kids won't have driving licenses or think about owning a car in the same way that that even we do compared to even what our parents do. Right. So I think that's a really big part of it. And we really wanted to get as much of the voices, as much of the you know pieces are on the table. And that's really when you know, I met Sydney, who comes from a really interesting background herself having you know being exposed to not just the world but also you know different transportation systems around the world even my myself have grown up all over the place like I spent the most amount of time I spent in one place has been about eight years in, in California and you know prior to that is just kind of globe trotting per se with the family and really kind of understanding different systems and a big part of you know what what we're really excited about getting more folks you know what Sydney really showed up as well for our us to be able to most effectively tackle this problem as a business was this concept of, you know, bringing in this research from urban planning, bringing in this under deeper understanding of how these new modes, these scooters, these electric, this, the whole spectrum of, of options that we have now more than ever before, how do they play a role in our, in our lives and how can we help, you know, understand that better, convey that better to both, you know, the, uh, the commuters, the riders, but also all the other stakeholders involved, whether it's, employers or government and and sort of everybody around the sphere too. Hey, and, and, and I, I think it's really fascinating and, and an important topic. I mean, about what you said in terms of, you know, that your kids might not have the driving license and, or it will be very different. It's crazy idea, but at the same time, yes, it's it's something that you see around you already. But um, I, w- I would like to go back to you know how you guys started and how you found each other because I think for a lot of entrepreneurs out there, uh, what's often happening is that you know your people in your own field, but mm-hmm. how do you you know find 
people in other fields and then how mm-hmm. do you know that it will click you know because you start a company yeah. right it, it's 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 uh yeah, yeah talk us a little bit through that how that went so sharia had sort of a previous iteration of fleet the kind of fleet version 1 which was looked very different than it does today and so they had sort of built out the first version of this product and they were explicitly looking for somebody with a transportation planning background to bring in all of the sort of principles behind urban planning and transportation planning specifically and to find ways to integrate that into the product itself so i came across fleet i had always been predisposed to working in in tech because i come from the ngo world and also from the public sector a little bit and i knew that one of my biggest frustrations with urban planning as as a discipline was the pace at which things go and i've always wanted to sort of work in a field that is much quicker much more demand responsive where we're not afraid to to innovate and do things quickly and so i was looking at i was looking at tech solutions people who were bringing urban planning into tech in interesting ways and i came across fleet and so i got in touch and shari and i just started having conversations and we were having all of these really sort of great ideas passed back and forth about how we could bring for example some of the behavioral economics principles of transportation planning into our product and how that would strengthen the product from you know a user standpoint mm-hmm. um and how we might create something that really set itself apart from these older legacy solutions that were just really not not solving the the problem or meeting the existing demand for better commuting experiences And so that's how that's how mm-hmm. we got together. We just kind of randomly I found him and we started having conversations and we decided to work together. Right. Right. Cool. Um yeah, where do you think um your company is now? I mean, should it be de- should it have been further down the road or are you, you know, where you are you comfortable with where you are? Um and then have you well, know, have another follow-up question on that as well. So Yeah, absolutely. Um and and I mean obviously everybody wants to be further than they are. I think if you know if you're not then then we're in the wrong, you know, field of life. Um but outside of that, I think, you know, there there are a lot of things that, you know, we've also been kind of exposed to and are catching us in in cycles, I would say, specifically in this realm of transportation and commuting the space that we're in, you know, the pandemic, well, we've been around pre-pandemic as well and that was sort of a you know the iteration 1 1 and a half that we had um and and that was really exciting it was a really good time as well in general as things were you know becoming more more uh, kind of apparent and clearer for us as a, as a business as the impact that we can create um the pandemic obviously came in as a really interesting spin mm-hmm. you know it, did that help it's, you it's almost, or or did did that give you a setback or it was interesting no i mean it definitely forced us back to the drawing board in a big aspect right so i think for most people right any plans that you had made for 2020 2021 um you know were kind of out the window and you really had to re-strategize and think more about what it really is what's the you know brass tacks of, of what we're doing and how does it apply you know what parts of this are still useful in this world that that became our new normal um and then how do we anticipate what this is going to look like you know and also making plans which are very unknown timelines right we not only the folks that we were working with on the employee side but also 
you know, we ourselves didn't know what's a pandemic. Is it a three month thing? Is it a six month thing? Is it a two year, three year? Thing? Right? Looking back at it now, mm-hmm. nobody really could have could have predicted what what's going to happen. Um, but it was interesting for us for sure. I think you know the transportation space in general was very shaken. Uh, commuting was obviously you know it's an understatement to say that it was hit hard. We, we it was everything almost went on pause initially. Um, but I think overall it was a very unique time for us. Like we had already been in commuting for a little while in, in mass transportation. We were already talking to companies prior to that. Um, and it almost, the silver lining almost worked out in the favor of us where, you know, we were initially convincing employers to understand more, learn more about your own employees commute, you know, understand what's the impact, the carbon impact that they're having as an employer who at the end of the day is still responsible for that impact that's happening because of their employees, but also, you know, how much time and productivity is being lost. What's the cost, like all of these things, that employers just don't have a very clear grasp of. And then, you know, doing that education part. So we were convincing people, here is what it looks like, and this is why you should worry about your employees' commutes. And the pandemic kind of flipped the conversation. Uh, you know, we were, we, we were really, a lot of people started coming to us to then ask about, you know, almost because they're being, re, being forced to rethink their commuting, right? They, mm-hmm. when, when everything went on pause, um, you know, for the non-essential workers, everyone was working from home. And for those folks, then employers and, and HR started working on what this new normal would look like. Let's set up sanitization stations. Let's you know, create social distancing, hybrid schedules. But nobody really had much of a solution for this door-to-desk approach of, you know, I've set up my office. I've got all the safety checkboxes done, but commuting or transportation is still unchecked. How do I get them to the office? How do I do that with with the least amount of liability or exposure. You know, people were afraid to take public transit. Should should you know? If I yeah. want to reopen my offices. Should I get everybody a bike to come to the office or Uber everybody to work? What is the what does it look like? And what's the best I can do as an employer to kind of bridge that gap? And that's how we had a lot of folks coming back to us. With you know, I remember you were you guys were talking about commuting before. Now I'm forced to look into it. It's one of my check boxes. You know, for my return to work piece. Um, you know, how does, what can we do? What does it look like? What are other people doing? It became a really interesting time for us, you know, to be there, but there was still this undertone of uncertainty that stayed with us throughout that time, right? It was very exciting. We got a lot of interest. We had a lot of, you know, we were obviously really pumped because we'd been here for a while. We were already championing commuting and now we're, you know, part of most of the conversations and there weren't that many folks talking about it, you know, alongside us. So it was a nice place to be, but it was still very uncertain. You know, people kept sliding their timelines. When am I returning to work? When do I need my employees back? Oh, there's a new wave. Let's hold off. You know, the, we were dealing with that. And that really did force us a little bit back as well. So we you know, had these conversations, but the other nice piece that came out of the pandemic situation for us was this new kind of focus or this energy that we started putting in towards essential workers, uh, which I think really worked out well. One of the you know, larger customers and folks that we were working with uh, sort of the city of San Francisco government agency, and they have you know six thousand essential workers that have been uh, you know commuting even throughout the pandemic, even now, and they became an interesting demographic for us, especially since a big part of our own sort of mission and, and vision was to increase access to these commuting programs and, and commuting and sustainable commuting options that larger companies are you know throwing money at and able to set up for their employees, but smaller companies really aren't, and and smaller companies just mean smaller budget folks as well, including essential worker organizations like government agencies. So we really did start to rethink even from a product business, you know, perspective, value proposition, what are the core pieces that even essential worker organizations or essential workers could benefit from 
um, for their day-to-day -day commutes, whether it's university workers, facilities, hospital workers, um, or you know, bus and train drivers as well who need to be there and make sure the city you know, infrastructure is in place. Predominantly in the U.S. at the moment, um, we do have that we support Canada, for example, North America. It's it's you know it is pretty easy for us to turn things on and off. So we are in, in conversation with a bunch of folks, uh, especially in the sustainability realm, which has become more more exciting even for us as from a transportation system. Um, you know, people want to know uh, ESG reporting. You know, they need to know what their employees' commutes look like. How can I run? You know, is there a fun, easy way for me to incentivize my employees and build? sustainable sort of choices into their day-to-day -day commutes, into their lifestyle as a culture, less so as a checkbox, which I think is really exciting of a, a trend that we've started to see in, in sustainability. We're talking to a few sustainability folks outside of, you know, in, in Europe and Asia, uh, kind of expanding the broadly, but right now we're, we've been mainly focused in the U.S., yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Sydney, you, you were mentioning that you come from the NGO world, right, and that you moved because of the speed. Is, is this... Uh, a company giving you the speed and the results that you're aiming for? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's every day is we, we do so many things and we're constantly, we have a continuous feedback loop. So we're constantly looking at the way that folks are actually using our product and we're able to pull pieces of data in really interesting ways to kind of see what the user experience is like. And then we can immediately turn around and change the product. And we're always iterating and making changes that will either respond to the challenges facing a particular employer or you know, how people are interacting with the app, how it's serving their daily life. And we've got an amazing team of engineers and they're just sort of so great at figuring out technical solutions to I will come to them with this like bigger problem that's kind of abstract and mm -hmm. urban planning-y and we can have these really great conversations where we talk about how do we actually implement a tech solution? How do we translate this idea that Sydney had into an actual part of the product and how, how can we change the way that a person is using our product every day? And, and it's just so great to be able to, to see these changes happening in real time and to be able to to see how people are using the product differently. Um, and one of, the, one of the things that sets us apart is that we don't have to operate at the enterprise level. So many commuter programs are only for these really big organizations and enterprises that have clunky in-house transportation planning teams. And they take on these you know, year-long multi-month consulting engagements to do these really long and drawn out commute analyses. And then they sort of follow this formulaic pattern to figure out exactly, you know, what kind of shuttle program can I run or how can I subsidize parking? And we've figured out a way to make this all happen so much more quickly. So the feedback loop is immediate and that makes it so much more accessible for smaller companies who don't have massive budgets to run their own transportation planning teams. Um, and so we're able to, you know, bring somebody on board within a matter of hours mm. and we can actually get programs up and running immediately. And you're really able to sort of see the difference of em employees being able to use our programs and change their commuting patterns in real time. Mm. And, and do you guys have NGO as your clients? Um, and then that's one question. And the second question is, um, 
I have the feeling that a lot of NGOs are hesitant to look into this. And so what will you tell them, you know, in terms of convincing them that they should make this part of what they do as well? The two questions. Well, we don't, do have we don't currently have any NGO clients. We okay. have had some, actually, we have some NGOs in the pipeline, some bigger um, foundations and, and mm. sort of in, folks who are, in effect, you know, larger scale employers. Um, we do have public sector clients. Um, you know, we're pretty, in terms of the kind of proposal process that it often takes to get into a, a public sector engagement, that can be theoretically a bit of a barrier, though it hasn't been in the past for us. Um, but we, there really aren't that many barriers for us to work with different types of organizations. It's just about how they sort of approach their own employees and, you know, what their specific workforce's needs are for getting to and from work and where they're located too. You know, a lot of NGOs who are in metropolitan areas, it makes a lot more sense to use a product like Fleet, like Fleet um, than compared to, you know, somebody else elsewhere. Yeah. And I think, uh, as you mentioned as well, in terms of convincing folks, you know, we've seen folks kind of fall into a couple of different buckets uh, when we do have the conversation with them. Um, the most sort of prominent and, and sort of ubiquitous bucket is really sort of cost, right? Everybody cares about cost, especially even in today's economy, you know, the cost savings are, are much more amplified uh, value add as well. Um, but people don't really if you talk to facilities folks, if you talk to real estate folks, if you talk to operations, um, there is a very, very real cost associated with commuting, right? Not just to the actual employee that's commuting, but there's a cost to the employer, whether it's, you know, parking spaces that they've made available, part of the office lease, whether it's part of a, you know, transit program, some matching. And these are more tangible, you know, direct monetary costs. There's also a couple of other, you know, costs that we know, whether it's, you know, productivity, well-being, uh, retention costs, even from a recruiting perspective, HR, they know that, you know, one in four people that leave, leaves because of a bad commute. You know, they cite that in their exit survey. So, you know, mm -hmm. even HR and, and folks at a small at small companies have known that, frankly, commuting sucks for everybody. And there's very little that they've been able to do about it. You know, they've they've maybe Googled some stuff before, looked into some options. Maybe some employees have told them, hey, there's a program I heard about or this carpooling or van pooling thing near my city where I live. Um, so they've maybe started looking into it. And we've really seen kind of 500, you know, employee onward kind of when companies go past that point, it really becomes someone's responsibility to look into it, whether it's from a recruiting mm -hmm. retention perspective or a cost savings perspective. And, and that's really what starts to drive the equation where if someone's looked into it, then maybe they'll start a commute stipend. You know, we've seen a lot of companies do this blanket sort of $100 per month or $50 a month mm -hmm. of commuting credit. Um, and it's even they themselves call it a feel good spend, right? They feel good that they're spending and they're potentially doing something, but at the end of the day, the employees are, you know, just taking that maybe putting it in their back pocket and then still sort of driving or doing whatever they were doing habitually and still feeling like it's locked, still feeling the miserable you know, aspects of the commute. And it's still mm -hmm. sort of the, you know, first topic of conversation when you get into the office, right? So it's the, that's the, still the dynamic that we've seen across the board and I think the pandemic almost accelerated that part of the conversation where now, you know, folks are, folks are now comfortable being at home. They've seen what, you know, no commuting looks like, 
or I've got that time back. I've got, you know, less stress because I'm not stuck behind a wheel or, you know, I've got all these other savings, even from gas and parking and so on. So people have now been exposed to what that world will look like. And then now to ask them to turn that on again, like, hey, we want to force you to come back. Employers, most employers still do want employees to come back, at least in some capacity. And, you know, in that realm, getting employees, convincing them again to come back, you know, without, you know, risking a big hit to, to your morale, without risking a big hit to productivity or employee churn is a really big, big concern for employers right now. And that's somewhere where we are able to really come in from a cost savings perspective, you know, either if they have programs that they're running, we're able to save them a lot of money on those programs. Very, very simply. It's, it's a very kind of clear equation, but also if they're looking to set up programs, you know, we help them very quickly set up programs at one tenth the cost of what they would have had to do it themselves, you know, at the, at the same size of the larger company. So cost savings has been a big driver, but then a couple of the other areas, you know, that, that we touched on as well. So in recruiting and retention, it's a very tough labor market. And in a lot of industries, tech is, is a mm-hmm. prime suspect for that. But outside of tech as well, you know, it's hard to keep employees stuck where they are and commuting is you know, transportation is a backbone of, you know, where you, to live where you work it plays in your mind almost every single day you get in mm-hmm. your car or, or you take the train to work your part of you is thinking about it you know how do i feel about this and to be there for the employees and that aspect uh from a recruiting retention employee well-being you know making sure that they're coming in well rested and, and not you know kind of draining them over time because of long kind of strenuous commutes um and then sustainability is another is another really interesting realm. You know, we've that also I think yeah. came out of the pandemic. To be honest, you know, we've been we've always had sustainability and sort of the carbon footprint as one of the metrics of our mm-hmm. platform, what we help teams and employers care about and understand and better track. Um, but really, only after the pandemic, you know, when people saw the streets were empty, you know, the the air was cleaner, the Venice canals in Italy were finally, you know, visible and, and very picturesque and, you know, things like that that were a lot more tangible for people to see, even in like a three month reset, almost, you know, nature kind of, people are saying the cities are healing, nature is healing, it's kind of getting its chance to come out. Mm-hmm. And, and the most optimal choice of mobility was like, open air, you know, biking or scooters and things like that. And a lot of people have picked that up. So we want to make sure that that stays in terms of habits and help them Mm -hmm. kind of encourage that. Uh, But I think that new sort of lens into sustainability, into the environment, um, you know, we hope that it's not another fad. I think that's something that, you know, we always continue to worry about. We've seen it come and go in waves, obviously, like, hey, sustainability, climate change. It's been a problem for a long time. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, now we're starting to see a lot more a little bit more action, I would say a lot more. I say a little bit more action where, where it's, this is your space too. You know, you're familiar with this inside out, but we're starting to see more sustainability officers, you know, come into position and start mm-hmm. to take charge of, of initiatives. We're seeing you know, regulation starting to come around and, and kind of classing more climate related initiatives that are going to help folks be, be, be part of that mandate. But we're also seeing that from a transportation, you know, realm with, with scope three emissions employers, are being forced now almost to be responsible for it. Earlier, it was more so, do you want to take up the responsibility or is sustainability a big part of your culture? Like as an employer, as an organization, do you care about sustainability? And then do you want to do something about it? But now it's almost like, you know, you kind of have to do something about it. And then the degree to which you act depends more on, you know, what, how big of a role, let's say your ground transportation or employees daily commuting plays in, in your organization's kind of full carbon footprint per se. But that's been really exciting for us to 
get a lot more conversations going on, on sort of the sustainability and, and you know, and energy reduction and, and fuel consumption end as well. Hmm. Uh, Sid, do you have anything to add before I take you guys into another area of discussion? Uh, no, I think that Sharia covered covered all of our bases there. Okay, great. Hey, um, well, I, I think you know uh, that this podcast is a spin-off of a 100-mile walk that I've been doing for, for 10 years now. And I'm actually, this is a, a, you're the first. I'm, I'm working on the 11th. Uh, I will do that from October 9 until 3rd, 15, I think, in Seattle area. So we've wow. started with the preparations mm-hmm. for it. I, I said I would never do it again. You know, I think it's time to hand over the baton. But we are the the my my successes are not ready yet. So I will do it another year. Um, but you know, in in 2020, I was not able to to walk with others because that happens as well. Even if they walk a mile with with me, and then we talk about life and stuff. Um, so. Um, so it's, yeah, and I thought, okay, I can do it virtually, and that's why the podcast started. Um, if I ask you, or if you would be asked to walk 100 miles in a week, so 15 to 20 miles per day, uh, you know, I do it to end hunger, uh, well, to to raise funds and awareness around ending hunger, poverty, uh, poverty, and injustice. If you would be asked to do that, to walk, um, what cause would you pick? I would like to start with you, uh, Sydney. I mean, for me, it's very clear. This is the the thing that drives me every day and the thing that we work on, which is, you know, curbing greenhouse gas emissions, reducing congestion and improving the quality of life in cities. We're all about more walkable, more sustainable cities. And I think that this feeds directly into global climate change, which is the biggest challenge facing humanity today. And for us, I mean, we're so passionate about our work that I would just as easily walk 100 miles and then work on this kind of thing day in, day out uh, as part of our company. But we work right at the intersection of of all these challenges. And we're sort of driven every day by meeting that challenge with innovation and and new solutions to, to create products that have, you know, a meaningful impact and improvement on not only daily life at the individual level, but also at the community level and at the environmental and global level. Um, And I think that what really sets us apart is that everyone on our team is driven by this imperative. And that's sort of what what really brings us together and allows us to to find meaning and motivation for our work every day. Yeah, I would piggyback on that too. I think um, I think that's another you know big part of what we're excited about the group that we've got together. I think everyone does have a shared you know driver, a shared shared passion towards a specific cause. Um, like you said, I think you know what would you be most excited about you know being walking 100 miles for in the week? You know, I'd say yeah, let's 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 take everybody and walk them to their offices together. You know, let's walk for for the commute itself. Um, but yeah, I think. At a, at a grander scale, I think at a, at a higher level, it's definitely more about, you know, I think passionate about wanting to sort of create an impact, sort of create a sustainable, you know, impact that lasts beyond just, you know, something that you have and something that you see or something that you do. It's very much kind of a deeper, deeper impact. And I think, you know, sustainability driving, driving impact for change in this climate world where we understand, you know, we're coming deeper from transportation. We know it's sort of like the single largest, you know, GHG emitter 
as a single source, and then you know ground transportation and commuting, which we sort of put in the background very quickly, right? We think there's all these apps, there's scooters, there's so much stuff happening, and when you're running an errand or, or doing stuff on weekends, like we'll hop on it more sort of a fun trial piece, but it's really not part of the systemic, you know, Monday to Friday big chunk of what happens in transportation, and and that's really what we wanted to drive the conversation about. You know, it's something that we know there are very clear opportunities to move the needle and drive impact and, and create sort of a sustained um, sort of dent there. And we wanted to be part of that conversation of where that ends up. And that's something that does continue to drive us and something that we'd walk 100, 200, maybe 300 miles. Like, we'll keep going. You know, why stop at, at 100? Just, as long as you're not driving, we'll keep walking. Right. Walking <laughs> is so appropriate. But, you know, get out of your car. Right. I, I, I... I, I think I found myself. <laughs> we'll take it on. Yeah, yeah. We'll take everybody to work. <laughs> hey, I, you know, when, when I walk, it, it's, um, yeah, you know, it it's really feels like a kind of a spiritual experience. You think about, you know, why are we on this earth? And so even if I walk alone, I have these thoughts and why am I doing this anyway? So um, when I walk with somebody else, we often talk about religion and spirituality. And then quickly, uh, you know, the youth becomes into the conversation. If conversations about, you know, is the youth, this younger generation different than the older generation in terms of religion and spirituality? And some people say yes, others say no. You know, maybe they are looking differently at institutionalized religion, but they're very spiritual still, or it depends on the context, which country you work. What, what do you see, you guys see, um, you know, among youth in the communities that you work? Yeah, I think it's a mix. I think that's an interesting point. Um, you know, I think everybody has their own bubbles and areas where we interact with, and that's kind of our friends of exposure. I think I am very fortunate that I have traveled a lot and, and you know, both my parents are a bit religious and I come, my origin, originally I come from India too, which is generally known to be a lot more, um, you know, religion forward too. Um, but I think even, you know, myself and, and amongst, let's say, my immediate group of friends and folks that I interact with socially, I'd say some of the things that you touched on sound like I would echo that that as well. I think people maybe are a bit less religious, but still, you know, spiritual in some capacity, um, you know, what that kind of entails or what form it takes for different people. It's, it's different. I can definitely, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of pinpoint that, but I think, I do think that there is a little bit of dichotomy between let's say our generation and the one prior per se, I would say, you know, things are kind of the same idea of like, Hey, that's been tradition. And so we follow it versus my generation folks in our generation are a bit more curious and and maybe even rebellious to a nature of you know why you know they'll ask the they'll ask the questions they'll try to formulate things um and then i think that does help especially for us you know especially for if we are looking you know we've done things the same way for a long time and that's really what's got us where we are and that's you know we follow tradition or that's religion or spirituality certain causes even environmental pieces right if you pull that back in that's how we've gotten to where we are. So if we do need to make a change, if we do need to change the way we think about it, change the way we do things, yeah, we first need to change the way we think as well. And I think because we have a newer generation that may be a little bit more of a mix of, of questioning and, mm -hmm. and curiosity and religions and spirituality kind of thoughts, it also creates a very nice sort of platform or hotbed or opportunity for us to kind of create those changes and try to embody 
things like, you know, sustainability is not just like something we have to do, something we have to get done. It's really something that we want to, you know, be internally more cognizant of, like mm-hmm. you know, just our day-to-day decision. Yeah. I think you seem to agree. I do. Mm-hmm. I think that at least what I've observed among younger people is that things like religion and spirituality, which in older generations were sort of these hard and fast fixed identities that we inherited from our parents are taking on much more sort of fluid identities and performances. And young people are connecting with each other in, you know, many different ways that sort of transcend transcend these spiritual or religious identities and that are more around shared values and tolerance and shared experiences. And so many of those you see playing out in professional environments. I mean, people really care about the values of the organizations they work for. They want to work for companies that they feel are doing good in the world. And and young folks are rightly so, you know, very sort of upfront and forward about the importance of mental health on both an individual and a community level and sort of healing from lots of, you know, past divisions and also bringing it back into the workplace context, which is, you know, context that we exist in. Um, they, you know, are want to work for employers who value them as people and they're not willing to sort of sacrifice their own personal well-being and mental health for a job that doesn't doesn't value them. And that's where we see things like commuting coming into play. I'm sorry to always bring it back to commuting, but you know, mm-hmm. these are things that that impact well-being on a on a daily level. And I think it's really empowering to see young people really looking at their lives in a more holistic way and how these individual sort of little minute pieces of their day build up into what their life looks like and their own personal satisfaction with it. And also the kind of meaningful connections they're able to make inside and outside of work. Thanks for that. I would like to um, kind of build on that, on the, the words you used uh, around holistic and sustainability that you mentioned, Surya, is, is um, you know, I, I try to talk to my audience about the sustainable development goals that are out there. It's not perfect. 17 goals is a lot, but I, I, I think at least it gives us a framework. Um, so I have two questions around that sustainability. And the first one is, what would you like the listeners to know about the 17 sustainable development goals? That's one. And then the second question is, um, there is a you know, group of people out there are saying, you know, one of the reasons that we are not reaching those 17 goals is because we are we did not pay attention to the abilities, qualities, and skills that you need as an individual as well as a community to push that system, to make those changes in the systems and the processes. So they came up with the inner development goals. And I sent you a, a link beforehand to, to that just in case. So my second question is, um, you know, what do you think about the inner development goals? And, and um, yeah, so because otherwise I put words into your mouth. So, so the two questions. One is, is the 17 sustainable development goals, what you would like to my audience to know about that? And two is, what do you think about the inner development goals? Yeah. Um, Shari, do you want to take this or do you want me to? 
I have some thoughts. Okay, go for it. Yeah, you started off. I'll, I'll jump in. Sure. Um, I think that, you know, uh, SDG 11 is all about more sustainable cities and communities. And within that goal specifically, 11.2 is about building safe, affordable, accessible, and sustainable transport systems. And I think that we really underestimate the amount that daily systemic commuting has an effect on greenhouse gas emissions. I mean, transportation is a huge driver of climate change. It's almost a third of total emissions and cars and trucks are almost half of that. And it's the you know largest, the, the biggest, most quickly increasing contributor to greenhouse gas emissions as well. And even these sort of small decisions that we can make on a daily basis to change our habits, if we bring that up to the community level, to the city level, they can make meaningful, meaningful change. And, you know, it's so important to actually look at our own habits and how those impact goals like the SDGs and how we can make, you know, meaning, take meaningful steps towards achieving those things. Yeah. Thank no, you. I completely concur. I think I think the other you know interesting piece is also that there's even outside of just these specific you know SDGs and the different buckets that they've built, there's a lot of um, underlying overlap as well across the board. You know, with, with mm-hmm. everything that they're trying to do. Obviously, this is kind of like the whole. You know, if you look at the circle of of all the different categories, it's all supposed to form this ecosystem, and that is a big part of it. You know, something that we also have a lot of conversations around, even pulling you know abstracting up, uh, on top of commuting. Is a concept of you know health and well-being, right? Traditionally, driving, which is the most popular, more than 70% of people are still driving alone in cars, is still the worst mode of commute to for both your health and mental well-being, right? Not just for the environmental impact and, and carbon offset, right? Biking, called biking around a green space, like this is something that we were doing research on too, as well. Of you know, can we even come up with a uh, you know, fitness or, or well-being score about how, you know, what is the current, you know, mental state of, of the commuting of your employees and you take into account things like not just biking in open air, but your bike past a park and that has a stimulating effect to you, greener, you know, environment have sort of impacts on health and well-documented impacts in science for how that helps you and spending time in fresh air. And all that does tie in. And then similarly, you know, whether it's like the different buckets, right? There's societal sort of the SDGs, there's the, the economic, and then there's the, the environment aspect of things. But regardless, I think there's a, you know, there is underlying aspects that kind of broaden and kind of go across the board for everybody. And the bigger piece, I think that was really interesting when you kind of shared the folk uh, kind of pieces around the IDG, the internal development goals as well, the inner development goals. Um, I think that was really interesting too, because at the end of the day, and it, this is something that we're dealing with as well, on a day-to-day basis is that a lot of these systems, a lot of these goals and challenges and solutions that are going to come to address these are all at the end of the day driven and built by people. Like we're the only ones that are doing that impact and and creating the systems. Mm -hmm. So being able to realize that not to get to these bigger goals, whether it's society-driven goal or an economy-driven goal or just sort of environmental goals, um, all of this has to be done by the people that are pushing and working towards it and and we really need to be more aligned internally to do that outside of just, you know, what drives us in the day to day. And that's why another big concept is kind of building sustainability into the business model of things, right? We know money is a big driver for, for growth, for success, for ambition. And if you can bake sustainability or environmental consciousness into business models that actually 
either affect the bottom line or increase the top line, then you know we know that that's a that's an interesting kind of innovative business model that will then have a much easier impact and and affects people on a day to day basis. But I think the inner development goals are are very interesting, you know, to help us individually figure out which of these areas is you know most resonant to us and which of these and will have a more direct impact in my life and really kind of lef- reflect into those you know skills and and pieces that are required to kind of move a needle per se or even think more deeply about them yeah and the the groups of people that i mean it's a massive global undertaking and a multidisciplinary enterprise and the the people who are taking on the work of implementing the SDGs are across the board. They're protect- practitioners, they're activists, advocates, citizens, it's, it's everyone. And identifying these sort of common skills and tools that we can all draw upon in our work, whatever form that may take, is so important in translating these sort of lofty, high-level goals into the the component pieces that are required for execution and moving the needle. In my efforts to to show the individuals, the persons also that I'm talking with, I have a question always about music as well, because music mm-hmm. is really close to, to my heart. Um, if I asked the the two of you um, to come up with a piece of music or a song that best embodies who you are, who Sydney is, who Sergia is. Which piece of music or song would that be? Would like to go first. Sydney, and you go for it. Okay, I'll oh, go. This is, this is a funny question. Um, I let's see. I mean, there's lots of pieces of music that I love, but in terms of something that I that resonates with me, I would have to say Go Your Own Way by Fleetwood Mac. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's, I think it's a breakup song, but that's not what it means to me. I mean, it's all about living life according to your own values and sort of traveling the path that's right for you and being in control of your own life because... you know, at the end of the day, we're accountable to ourselves and you have to sort of recognize the power that each of us has over steering our own life rather than just letting it happen to us. And whether that means, you know, in the case of Fleetwood Mac, breaking up with Stevie Nicks, or for me personally, pursuing a career that I find meaningful and rewarding, I think that kind of encapsulates that that feeling. And Shari and I, I mean, we're a startup, and that means taking on some risk and being comfortable living in that risk. And living with the responsibility of knowing that your success and the success of your company is completely up to you. I mean, you're, we're, we're driving this car and, or we're driving this train, I guess I should say. And we're, you know, building this thing from the ground up and doing it our own way. Great. That's a good one. Um, (laughs) I would say, yeah, I think, I mean, that's really nice. I do agree. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty and you really do have to kind of pick this, path out of choice like it's not something that you can just jump into and hey let me give it a try it really has to be something more conscious and, and driven and you know if the if the song got you here then then we're we're glad you found Fleetwood Mac too um I would say I would say uh I think a, an easier sort of classic one would for me that definitely is the like the top ones for me would be um you know the the classic sort of don't worry be happy you know song Bobby McFerrin um it's it's mm. you know it's obviously got a lot of renditions over time but 
I think it's really interesting because you know it is it is something that is very core to what we do. I think being optimistic or being an optimist is one of the you know inherent attributes, almost part of the job description of, of founding a company or starting something on your own, right? I think there's your your to do something innovative, to do something new, you have to be going against the grain or doing something other people haven't, you know, whether it's a, a sort of a lonelier, you know, uncharted territory, whether it's more sort of against, you're going against the norm and having to fight obstacles on your way. Either way, you know, having sort of that faith, having having that belief in, in what you're doing and, and you know, taking the small wins and then, you know, exaggerating those, not letting the, the bad times sort of pull you away and, and kind of using all of that to really fuel persistence and fuel your your sort of journey around it i think is very key and i think the song is obviously a fun song it's an easy you know it's not there's not too much depth to it mm -hmm. but it is really interesting for you know how he talks about the you know the ideas of, of kind of taking control of your emotions i think is another really good exercise like that's something that i think is one of the hardest almost skills that that we can hone in on as as individuals right being able to not let outside things that are outside of your control affect you to a level where it changes your internal chemistry, internal thinking, internal reactions. It's very easy to react. You know, something bad happens to mm -hmm. you, you react to it very instantly. That's just how we're wired. But being able to really kind of really take that, you know, don't worry, be happy, uh, more and more sort of as a, as a mantra of the idea of like, you know, worry when you really have to worry and then challenge, channel that worrying into something that is constructive. But generally speaking, you know, don't worry, be happy, right? Whatever the troubles are, it'll pass, like in sort of a higher realm. Um, but kind of being in a place where you are able to, you know, kind of go at a higher level, like you'll run into obstacles, you're, you're biking down a path, you're going to have, you know, pebbles on the road, they'll knock you off, you'll have speed bumps that you have to go through. But then kind of, you know, kind of elevating yourself onto a bird's eye level and you're able to see you know, I'm, I'm still excited about this bike journey, even with these pebbles and rocks and, and puddles and stuff on the way. I'm so excited about, you know, where I'm going, the road that I'm on, the path that I'm on, what I'm doing, um, and being able to almost be content at that level where the smaller things kind of just don't really hit you harder than just, you know, little dots or smears on your, on your windscreen and you kind of swap them away. I think it's a lot, a lot more powerful, a lot harder to do than than to say you know it's easier to just keep listening to the song and letting it reinforce it into your mind but to actually practice it is 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 a lot trickier for sure especially in our space like Cindy mentioned so much so much happening and so much uncertainty I think is a very crucial aspect of you know being maintaining a little bit of that sanity and, and keeping making sure we keep some of the you know positivity in, in whatever we end up doing no thanks for that and you know I normally try to focus on the listen part of the podcast, walk, talk, listen, but I would like to make a comment on this one. And that is, I, I think it's for me, you know, what the first goal of the inner development goals is about the being, right? The work that your hard work that you need to do on yourself. And I think that's also something that you can have control over, at least most control over what happens to you and who you are and how you react. Uh, it, and that's difficult enough as it is. Um, I still have a question about the worry, though. I, I hear what you're saying. I don't don't worry, but is there anything that you worry about at the moment? And and if so, you know what is that? So, and and I would like to do a quick because our time goes fast. A quick quick answer. I mean, there's always there's always the things that you're worried about. I think as long as you're happy, it's not an issue. <laughs> but yeah, I think I, I think for us, you know, we're more immediately. I think you know, uh, I'm a little bit worried again that maybe this you know sustainability 
focus or attention that we're getting, the interest that we're getting might be just another bad. I think, you know, we're a lot of people coming from the space are almost at a point where we're really fed up with the idea of, you know, let's, let's actually do something. Let's, you know, put some, put some execution behind these ideas behind this, you know, let's operate something and execute on this. Um, I think that's something that we're definitely, you know, continuously worried about the the interest, but how does it actually translate into action? And then, Mm -hmm. you know, that's something that we're, we're happy to be a part of that conversation and happy to, you know, make it easier to take action and happy to put, keep building innovative solutions to do this, but at a higher level, it's really something that we as people need to kind of, like you mentioned, kind of take it inner, make it, make it a deeper part of our cause, part of our purpose, part of our sort of meaning and not be forced into it. I think the whole idea of everybody being like, Oh, it's all, it's, it's, it's about time that we cared about this. It's, you know, beyond time that we had to do something to fix this and, you know, climate change and, and sort of the energy crisis that we we're going to go through. Like, it's less so about being forced to it, but more so, you know, it is something that we would need to really dig in and, and find ourselves. And that's something that I do constantly worry about. It's like, are we actually going to be able to pull this off? Like, are we actually going to be able to create that impact and drive that sort of change and, and resonate that sort of messaging across folks? Or, or is this going to be another wave and then we have to kind of pick it up again later? Mm. Sydney, so where do you still see hope? Where do you guys still see hope then? I, I think that I see hope in younger people. I mean, I, again, like Sharia, I worry. And I think a lot of people my age, we worry about climate change more than anything. And I, I just had a child six months ago, and it's had me thinking a lot more about mm-hmm. the future and sort of what the world is going to look like for young people today. And, you know, when they're 20, 30 years old, what, what the planet's going to look like. And I also worry about sort of divisions in our society and, how we're becoming very, very polarized and finding difficulty coming around things that should be, you know, common causes that are sort of science-based and are, you know, truths. And we can't decide what is true and what's not true. Um, But then I see young people sort of taking on this work and advocacy and really sort of stepping into different forms of identity and values than their parents did. And I find that very encouraging and comforting and it gives me a lot of hope for the future you know I see young people getting involved in politics and young people taking advantage of their platforms for issues that are bigger than themselves and I don't think that I saw that so much among young people when I was that age Um, and I really think that you know with all of the sort of pieces of technology that are at the fingertips of young people today, you know, all of the knowledge and the ways that we have of disseminating it, there's really an unfounded opportunity to, to come together to make an impact, especially, you know, when it comes to things like climate change. Um, and I find that really encouraging. Any last message uh, or question or suggestion uh, for the listeners from you? Um, I would say, I think this is this has been really nice. I think it's very important for us to have more conversations like this as well, to you know, get folks to not just you know, share more, be aware more, but really to just make them think more about this. And, and like you said, even the inner development goals, you know, it, it is something that we do need to at some point internalize like whoever we are and, and whatever we are. And regardless of what the decision ends up being, you do need to take it, process it, 
internalize it and then convince yourself to say that, okay, I don't, I really don't care about this, or maybe I do care about this and what parts of this do I care about? Right. And if, if, and I would say from sort of an invitation or sort of a, a suggestion, you know, if, if do that internalization, I think folks should do that more, should, should read at least a little bit, at least at the surface to get some, you know, information about what's happening, what's, what's important. Maybe I think the hardest piece is to see what of this is tangible enough that affects me on a day-to-day basis. Cause this is so, you know, kind of thinking much more in the future. I think if you do think about it, reflect and feel like, you know, you're passionate about the environment or passionate about doing your bit, you know, every little bit, kind of every job counts. But if you're passionate about that, then really think about how you can sort of make more, um, you know, sustainability conscious sort of decisions almost on a, on a day-to-day basis or make it as part of your lifestyle, right? Like we talked about, I think it's a lot more about making it part of the culture, making it part of your lifestyle and less so just sort of something that needs to be done. Um, and specifically, I mean, in the, in the realm of, of, you know, commuting, if that comes up for you and it's something that you care about and you're not able to figure it out, you know, that a lot of people do have, you know, I just feel like that the only option for me is driving or that's the only thing I can do or this is my only option. Then if you need help, you know, reach out to us, reach out to ask your, ask your managers, your HR, your boss, you know, CEO, whoever needs to hear this to, to you know, tell them that you care about this and you want to potentially do something about your commute to work, but you're not sure what to do. And, you know, they should definitely go, go check us out as well, you know, find, find fleet and see if there's something we can do. We'll definitely find some way that we can help you. But it's, I think it's more so about getting people to just start thinking more about it and, and sort of starting to realize what, it, how that matters for themselves personally. Yeah, absolutely. And we will make sure that, you know, all the links and your, <laughs> you know, social media handles, et cetera, will be available uh, yeah, absolutely. In, in the podcast notes. Uh, Sydney, any last I, I think that Shari sort of hit the nail on the head there, but I, I would encourage everyone to sort of look around them and see the ways that climate change is affecting us on a daily basis. You know, more extreme weather events or flooding in your neighborhood is what whatever is going on. And just think about it. This is not some looming problem that we have to deal with in the future. It's here right now. And our decisions today matter. Great. Right. I would like to to thank you both for for today. It was really uh, informative uh, for me. And and second, what is I, I'm sure the the listeners feel and have you know heard that as well is is um, yeah you it would be fun to work for you guys because you you are really a team. So that you feel that so that's that's great. So I would like to wish you all the best with everything you do. Make sure that people can find you if they you know, would like to start collaborating with you. And um, yeah, we wish you all the best. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. for listening to walk talk listen please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on facebook or instagram